I was, you know, living quite the lifestyle at MTV and spring break and all these places. And I love to break that idea of perception of celebrity and all like, oh, they're so perfect. People have no idea. You know, I was struggling so much through a lot of that. What are supposed to be the best times of my life. Don't get me wrong. They were fun. I, I managed to find fun, but there was a whole other kind of dark side to it of like, why well, I was wondering why my brain was working the way it was working. Welcome to Imposters, the show where I talk to world-class execs, athletes, and entertainers about their personal challenges and how overcoming them has shaped their careers for the better. I'm your host, Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. My guest today is Carson Daly. If you're a millennial, you probably remember Carson Best as the host of MTV's Total Request Live. He's also been the host of his own late-night TV show, Last Call with Carson Daly, a host on The Voice, and is currently a regular host on NBC's Today Show. If you've never seen Carson on TV, he's an absolute natural. He's been doing live television for 25 years, and it shows. He's funny, charming, and seems so totally at ease. Which is why it came as a surprise to many in 2018, when Carson decided to share his diagnosis with generalized anxiety disorder on the Today Show. I was uh, diagnosed with GAD, general anxiety disorder, and mild panic, very similar to what Kevin Love was talking about there. Inspired by Kevin's story and hoping to do the same for others, I opened up about my own experience with anxiety disorder right here on Today. You feel like you're dying. In fact, I went to the hospital, and the first thing you put it on, I got leads on my chest. I'm like, my heart's going to stop, or I'm going to have a heart attack. And of course, what happens is you're perfectly fine. I was lucky enough to talk with Carson about going from living with worry and panic to learning about his anxiety disorder and how to ultimately embrace it as part of his life and career. I am super excited for this for a number of reasons. One is because Pretty much everything that you've talked about with your own journey is uh, something that I've dealt with in some fashion um, over yeah. the last, I don't know, 15 years. And uh, and so everything you talk about resonates with me. And I'm even personally just interested how you navigate it today because I'm always thinking about what does my toolkit need to look like to just keep things under control? Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And it, um, I mean, it changes every day. I didn't, I didn't even like think I'd be doing this uh, talking about mental health, making it kind of like my thing, uh, you know, all the self-exploration that I've done. I'm like that guy. You're probably too young to remember the, uh, the commercial for the hair plugs where the guy was like, I don't just own the company. He like, takes off his, he's like, I'm a client too. Like I, I, I sort of feel that, that, that dual citizenship in the mental health world. Like, yeah, I'm trying to navigate, uh, you know, how to better myself because I have issues. I want to start with kind of like, the impact that it's had on your career, and then we can kind of move move back from there, like how you work through it. Totally. I, I think the the elephant in the room, if people are like, okay, they know Carson is the guy that's been in TV for, I want to say, what, like around 25 years now. And, Correct. And now, you know, from this podcast at the very least, if they didn't know it before, is someone who has been diagnosed with general uh, generalized anxiety disorder, um, struggles with anxiety, you know, daily or weekly. My guess is people think to themselves, what is this guy doing to himself? Like, how are you putting yourself on live TV and in the TV yeah. business when you know that you experience panic attacks and anxiety? How do you reconcile that? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, wish, I, I wish I knew. Well, I'll first start by saying like, it manifests in different ways once you really have your own self-exploration into what 
anxiety means to you, how it affects you. It's really different for everybody. So I like to preface like everything I say when I'm talking about my own kind of global health is that this is really proprietary to me. And so there might be things that I say that people sort of, oh, I can relate to that, but it's very, it's different for everybody. So like, for instance, probably one of the biggest fears most people have in the world is, is public speaking. I think that's like a fact. It's one of the biggest phobias out there. So to answer your question, it becomes rather ironic that this person who's very public and has been very public for over 20 years and very live, I mean, public at its most uh, vulnerable, if you will, because I've chosen the profession of really being live, whether it was through radio or Total Request Live at MTV, or even now the Today Show or The Voice, which is a third of our format as being live in front of you know 20 million people. It's like, why would you have that sort of career choice if you have these struggles? And I'll just say that um, for me, what I do for a living uh, really has no impact on it. Doesn't mean I haven't struggled while at work, but I could have been digging ditches. I could be a doctor. I could be a teacher. I could be a lawyer. I could be a television personality. And the the head of my ailment would rear itself unabashed and sort of equally. It really has nothing to do with that. Meaning my anxiety, my panic disorder is not exacerbated by the idea that I'm on live television or the, what I do for a living. The other thing is perception. People perceive people who you see on TV. You perceive that to be a very high stressful job and boy, I could never do that. And how, this person deals with, with you know, anxiety. How could they possibly do that? Well, you're sort of reflecting your own vulnerability. If you were in my shoes, you know, you would be nervous. That doesn't necessarily mean that I am. Um, now, I could be sitting alone in a room in the most safe environment with my kids and have a panic attack and run away like a four-year-old and be in the fetal position, you know, crying for my mommy. So it's just panic and anxiety. They, they manifest in different ways. For people who don't actually have generalized anxiety disorder or experience panic, can you can you talk about, first of all, what, what generalized anxiety disorder is and how panic or anxiety manifests for you in your life? The first thing I'll tell you is it's the inability to control your nervous system. That's really at the crux what it is for me, I should say. Obviously, it's different for everybody. I used to suffer things called uh, derealization where I could be having a conversation with two coworkers and once they're talking, like an internal monologue starts talking in my head and I sort of like step outside of my body and kind of shrink away from the conversation. And then I realize I'm doing that and panic sets in because I think they notice I'm not even listening to what the fuck they're saying. And, and this weird sort of thing happens and then it all goes away. And then, you know, you think you just did something wrong and they, did they notice that you're sweating? But meanwhile, they didn't notice that at all. And there's little symptoms here and there. But for me, it's about the inability to control your fight or flight, which in my case, I felt like had to do with a, a serotonin issue in my body, which is why ultimately I chose something that I take every day that really helps my sort of chemical balance out. But the thing about you know anxiety, I've always also looked at it like when I was growing up, if I told my dad who, God rest his soul, died at 85, was born in 1932, if I'd said to him, you know, tough Italian entrepreneur, you know, I, I'm feeling anxious today, he would just laugh at me. You know, he would have been like, well, and so I grew up with that even in my 20s and 30s. Like, well, you have anxiety. Well, what does that mean? It means I'm anxious about something. That's an adjective. Like now, of course, I know it is a, it's a diagnosis. It's a thing. It's a real thing. And I'm glad that it is because it explains a lot. And there's a lot I've done to be able to, um, to work on it. And Carson really has worked on it. There's a reason why so many people thanked Carson for sharing his story on the Today Show. He not only understands the mental hurdles he faces daily, but he's also able to describe it in a way that's relatable. 
Take, for instance, his analogy of carrying his anxiety through his life like an upside-down Frisbee filled with water. For me, it works like if I wake up and I have like a Frisbee uh, and I fill it with water and I have to walk across the room with that Frisbee, that's kind of my baseline. And if I walk gingerly, the water in the Frisbee is the anxiety. And yeah, it sloshes around a little bit, right? Some days it's a little rockier of a walk than others. You know, it sloshes a little bit more. Some days that that anxiety is very calm and I can control it. Some days it's really hard to control and it's sort of the water will slosh over the Frisbee. That's, that's when the anxiety turns into panic. And so I've used that example for me because it helps me visualize where I'm at and when I need to start to do, you know, some, some muscle relaxation therapy or, you know, I need to do something to kind of s- to slow the waters in the Frisbee, if you will. Panic attacks are something that don't happen often for me. And if you've ever had one, you know, it is probably the scariest thing because it's, you, you, it's a false signal sent to your brain that something is happening and it's physiologically just not happening. Many of us have panic attacks think we're having heart attacks and end up in the hospital and the doctors say the same thing. Nothing's wrong with you. You're hooked up to like nothing. This is in your brain. So it's like, wow, how did my brain get a message from my body that I'm dying? And why is my pulse, you know, so high? And why am I sweating? And why do I feel imminent threat? Well, that's because you're suffering from a panic attack. And that's something that we can figure out in the mental aspect, but it has nothing to do with the physical aspect. Those are just symptoms. And then we spend, you know, or at least I did, you spend your entire existence trying to avoid ever having a panic attack again. And, and through that process, it's scary because you could become agoraphobic really fast, right? Your world will get very small. So I had a panic attack once in Aspen, Colorado. For about 10 years, I never went any to any city that was more than maybe 1,500 above sea level because I, I thought in my mind that was a trigger, which of course I know now it wasn't. Um, but if you do that for long enough and you do it in silence and don't tell anybody, well, shit, I'm not going to so-and-so's house. I had a panic attack there. Well, shit, I'm never flying and sitting against the window because I had a panic attack there. I got to sit in the aisle or this or that or this. Eventually, you end up just never leaving your house, and that's scary. Carson's description of a panic attack is so familiar to me. In 2018, I had my first panic attack, and it was the scariest moment of my life. I thought I was dying and was convinced I was going to pass out. I literally stayed on the phone with my mom for two and a half hours as she tried to talk me off a ledge. And then for the next three weeks, I had a panic attack every single day while I was trying to figure out what was going on with me. So Carson's Frisbee analogy resonated deeply. As someone who's had a panic attack, you're always trying to figure out what's going to cause the water in the Frisbee to spill over, what's going to trigger the next panic. For Carson, it's been a journey to figure out his triggers and what helps keep him calm. But after working on it for 15 years since being diagnosed with GAD, he has a pretty good idea. What are the things that you have identified in life that cause a rockier walk with the Frisbee? Like you mentioned that being 1,500 feet or uh, whatever above uh, sea level Mm -hmm. is not one of those things. But what are those things for you in life? They're boring. And, um, and again, they're, they, they work for me to keep the Frisbee water calm, but it's taken a long time to figure that out. One used to be hangovers were like triggers. Alcohol works on the same sort of, you know, it's like a, a, a depressant. So it, it can depress your feelings, which is good in some ways that a lot of these anti-anxiety meds work on. So people who suffer with anxiety, your relationship with alcohol can change. Symptoms of a bad hangover and anxiety issues are are cousins. So I tried to quit smoking uh, desperately 
before I had my first kid, I was smoked for like 10 years, like out of college, in my 20s, basically. Um, and then in my early 30s, I was trying to quit. And I really couldn't quit for about five years because the withdrawal symptoms of nicotine were so similar to my anxiety and panic symptoms that it was too much for me to bear. So my my Frisbee water was all over the place because there were too many factors happening with at once. I did end up quitting and I haven't smoked for 14 years now, thank God, but it, that was hard to navigate. So for me, it's the stupid things like, you know, I have to have the three pillars of my life, my spirituality, you know, my mental health and my physical health, all being very harmonious for that water to be calm. You know, exercising is a big thing. That endorphin release for me is a really big thing. And also just to check a box, even if I, you know, I'm, I'm still in shitty shape. I, you know, I think there's a funny line Adam Sandler said on Jay Leno years ago. How's it going, Adam? He's well, working out an hour a day just to stay chubby, Jay. Um, you know, I, I, like people work out for different reasons. So what, when I feel good about myself, but I've been watching what I eat or I, and, and, and drinking at less and taking care of myself. And when all of those, when I wake up and there's that, in my, and I feel good about myself, that walk across the kitchen with the Frisbee is ultimately better. That's not to say I can't have a rocky start, but for me personally, I haven't had many tri- – and I've had like my kids. Well, I, have two, I have four kids under the age of 12. They mean everything to me. If one of them was really sick, like my son uh, when he was little was really, really sick once. He had double walking pneumonia, and it was really touch and go because he was so young and fragile. Those things didn't ever trigger my anxiety, which is weird. Like – so it, it's just, it depends on what it is. But I found for me when I'm really sort of on top of my game, I feel good about what I'm doing, you know, and I meditate. That's new. I'm on the Calm app. I've never really done that before. Carving out time for myself. It sounds, I sound so millennial, um, <laughs> um, but it works for me. We're going to pause for a quick break, but stick around to hear more from Carson on how he's learned to view his generalized anxiety disorder as a superpower in work and life. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You said, you know, at this point, it was 15 years ago because it was just before you had your first child that you had the diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder. Tell me, what was the experience like for you to kind of find out that you had this disorder, that you had GAD, and talk about how significant your anxiety was before that, before kind of any sort of treatment, mm-hmm. whether uh, preventative or dealing with like acute anxiety, and what it was like after well, getting diagnosed was the best thing that ever happened to me. I'll never forget it. I was in Westwood, California at the doctor's office at my therapist. And it took me a lot to get there because I thought therapy was, I didn't even like, like what a therapist? Like I can barely, you know, at the time I was like, I can, I can barely afford my mortgage. You know, like I don't really need to start paying for a therapist. Like therapy always seems like the very last case, you know, and, and I wish I didn't think that, but anyway, um, so after spending a few hours with, with a therapist and then, you know, doing, he basically gave me a test. Uh, and then he's like, yeah, you are classic GAD. And I'm like, wait, I'm a thing. Like, I was so excited because I felt for so long 
that I was breaking, that that maybe that like I was broken or that I was maybe getting worse. Another issue that I had was compound worry. Like I'd have a, I'd have a thought. Like you could tell me a thought, and I would go to the worst common denominator of that thought, or the worst potential outcome of that thought, and I just couldn't control. Like oh, well, that, oh shit, that means that's going to happen. I just thought I was like basically a pussy. Every trip I took with friends, and I was you know living quite the lifestyle at MTV and Spring Break and all these places. And again, I love saying this now for people. I love to break that idea of perception of celebrity and all, like oh they're so perfect and. Like people have no idea, you know, I was struggling so much through a lot of that, what are supposed to be the best times of my life. Don't get me wrong. They were fun. I, I managed to find fun, but there was a whole other kind of dark side to it of like, well, I was wondering why my brain was working the way it was working. And so that was taking its toll. You know, I had some major moves. I had moved back from New York to LA to do my late night show. I had had a, a you know, a very serious girlfriend at the time was now my wife. So life changes, you know, some big things like that also were rearing its head. And my world started to get smaller. I just started, I didn't want to go places. I stopped going out to dinner, I think, for a while because I kept having these these moments at dinner where I was just like, I would be there, but I just wouldn't be there. And then I would get scared. Um, then I had to have an escape route, you know, like it just it started to become too much effort to like even just go out with friends. Carson says that before he found help, He'd even driven himself to the point of looking up agoraphobia because he'd gotten so fearful of going out. He not only started to resent himself for it, but he also felt helpless because he didn't see how his brain could stop tormenting him. This is a wildfire in my brain, and I can't control, I can't even, it's getting slightly worse every day, every year. And and then I, you know, thank God, like I, I ended up going to Dr. Oakley and it all started. And the very first thing that was, was like, this is a thing. Like, it was like, oh my God, I have, there's a thing and it's called GAD and there is panic and this is how it works. And this is how you're wired. And this is what we believe. I didn't know about any of it. And so I was like, I felt like Charlie in the, in the chocolate factory. Like I got the golden ticket and I went in, I was like, oh fuck, you guys have Oompa Loompas and a chocolate river. Like, this is the most amazing thing. Like, Sure, this would be a this is going to be weird for for the rest of my life running this chocolate factory with 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 oompa loompas who aren't human. But like that's how I felt like as I entered what I felt like was the other side of you know my mental health exploration. You know, getting help, getting therapy, learning about muscle relaxation therapy is one of the first things I did that helped me immediately. The tension therapy—it's something you can Google on. It's like a thing that you could do now as you hear my voice. You could Google muscle tension therapy, and there's a bunch that just walk you through this series of kind of clinching muscles and letting go and reintroducing what stress release feels like. So I started doing that like 10 times a day. And then, you know, I just understand the anxiety of model, understanding these mental health issues for me was so great because now when I'm really off, I, I understand how my model works and I can look at myself and have a, you know, I can, I can help myself. Well, I want to, uh, I want to get specific for a second, which is like, Let's even look at today. Like, how has your anxiety been? Like, do you feel like, did you feel anxious going on TV today? Uh, have you felt anxious at home? And I'd love to know just like a day in the life of Carson, what does your anxiety feel like on average? God, you know, I don't know. I've lived with it. So it's like a roommate. It's like, if you came and met my roommate, you might be like, God, that guy's an asshole. He doesn't really <laughs> seem to help out. And I'd be like, I don't know. I've lived with, he's been here for 30 years. I just, that's how it is. I, you know, a relationship with a diagnosis like this is it's a very fluid thing it's a very i'm very self-aware now and at one point i flip the switch and i choose to look at it as like i feel great you know like more than analyzing my anxiety level this morning 
I, I went to, God, I cannot wait to get home to see Goldie, our newest, who my kids are in school and I get home from the Today Show. My wife and Goldie are going to be here. And so the hour long drive home from New York City to my house in the suburbs is just filled with like, I cannot fucking wait to play with my kid. And there was a time where that same hour drive would have been years ago. Oh my God, I have to do this today, this today, this today. I'm not prepared for that. I have to call this fucking person back who I've been putting off for two weeks. Like, and I, those things are still on my list, but I just have now successfully wired myself to just be able to tap into the superhero-ness of like, oh my God, I get to be dad. And that, that means so much to me. No, that's, that's today, you know? Yeah, there's um, there's an analogy that uh, I've talked to my therapist about that sounds a lot like what you described, which is like for the longest time, you were kind of like the person who was out in the ocean, um, a, a part of the ocean where there's big waves and you were just like taking it in the face, like you're taking waves in the face. And yeah. over time, you've gotten the tools where either you're the surfer that learns how to surf the waves or you're really good at getting under the... Uh, the, the duck this, diving. Yeah, yeah, you duck dive and yeah, you feel it a little bit, but the wave actually like flows past you in a way that's manageable. That's that's a great that's a great analogy. That, I think that's it. And I think it could be a combination of both, meaning if you're the surfer on the wave, then you've, tack- you've sort of mastered a few things that allow you to um, not just survive the water in the face, but use it to your advantage and have fun with it while you're surfing. And then similarly, if you've mastered duck diving, which could be an analogy for masking a little bit or just some, there's times where I'm just like, fuck it, man, I got to like, you know, I'm just gonna have a glass of wine at noon and like just one and I'm going to like, I'm going to, I'm going to like lower everything on purpose because there's no reason to suffer. There's just no reason to every day be terrified and to suffer. It's just there's no reason for it. And there's different paths to, re- to re- the relief of that. That's through your own path and your own self-exploration, your own thing. But, you know, these things like therapy and simply just talking, it's literally just talking about all this stuff is another great thing. That muscle tension relaxation therapy, I highly recommend. And the dumb thing, especially if you're a guy, because guys just don't do that, strike a conversation with your friend. Like we having a beer, just be like, hey man, this may come out of left field, but like I've haven't slept in like three last three nights and really wrapped up. Okay. Well, what do you mean? Why? What do you mean? Like, what have you been thinking about? I don't, Hey, what's going on? And maybe through that, like you'll get to a conversation with your friend, if it's a good friend and maybe you can unearth a few things. And maybe when you walk out of that bar an hour later, you actually feel a little bit better because you've communicated some things that, that men in particular just don't ever do. So that's another really like, you know, entry level part of mental health of, of breaking the stigma of it that I'd like to see, you know, just happen in society on a regular level. I love that Ted Lasso which we all love, just wrote, wrote this stuff and the panic attacks into the storyline of the most recent season because things like that help infiltrate it into sort of normal society. And, and that's just, that's huge. Something that Carson has said in the past that I think is so powerful is that he sees GAD as being his superpower. Rather than viewing his disorder as something that strictly makes his life more challenging, he has found ways to recognize how his disorder actually adds to the quality of his life and his work. I have chosen to take a stance to look at uh, a self-diagnosis of myself all the way around, and and I have chosen to take the mental approach that the very things that um, that I work on every day that have to do with anxiety do offer the uh, a flip side, and is that flip side where we get into this analogy of like it being my superpower you know uh, just understanding that people in the arts you know emily dickinson abraham lincoln people come to mind who have struggled who've had you know anxiety in our history books for a long time or even in the animal kingdom i've always loved the analogy of like a group of hyenas 
uh, sleeping at night, you know, and sort of three of them being very anxious are the ones that are walking around nervously while everybody's sleeping. They're the same ones that when the wolves come down, they alert the sleeping uh, hyenas. Hey, mofos, you better wake up. There's, <laughs> there's a, an attack is imminent. So that sort of like that, that's the other side of it. And for me, um, I'm very visceral. Uh, you know, I, I don't have control of my nervous system is really the long and short of it. And that can mean um, when I can't control fight or flight, it becomes an issue when I'm on an airplane. Or it means when I'm staring at my two-year-old any given day and I'm really having a deep thought with my children and thinking about life and how these eyes get to see them now and how quickly I'll become older and maybe not around anymore, that really resonates with me at a, at a, at a really deep physical level where I feel it. In the same way I feel anxious, I feel that love. I feel that emotion of music, a sunset, um, good friends. and so. I think to myself, what a blessing that I that I'm gaining such a great, rich quality of life as a person by being quote unquote hardwired this way. Um, this is the way God made me. That um, I choose to to at least as I'm dealing with kind of the pain in the ass stuff, I go wow, but I wouldn't change it for the world because this is what makes me me. For Carson, learning that his panic and anxiety actually had a name was one of the most pivotal moments of his life. To know that it was a real disorder and that there were actual treatments for it was so crucial to his learning how to thrive in his career and ultimately live a full life. This is why Carson is now so passionate about talking openly about his mental health. He doesn't want anyone else to have to suffer in silence for years like he did. And it's also literally why we're making this podcast. In 2020, Carson launched a video series on NBC called Mind Matters that focused on destigmatizing mental health issues. He's also since joined the board of Project Healthy Minds, a nonprofit organization that I also happen to be on the board of and who we are happy to have as a launch partner for this show. Project Healthy Minds is focused on tackling the current mental health crisis by way of making resources more accessible to those in need. A stat that Project Healthy Minds has shared is that 45% of young people say hearing from celebrities or other public figures talk about their own mental health struggles inspires them to do something about it. And 68% of young people say that hearing friends and family members or coworkers talk about their own mental health has a similar effect. I think the biggest lesson we can learn from Carson here is this. Let's make it normal to talk about our struggles. Let's destigmatize talking about our mental health, since doing so can help us navigate the pain and realize the power it can provide in our lives. As Carson said, there's no reason to suffer. There's just no reason. And now, before we go, it's time for a reflection of my own. Hearing Carson talk about how he manages his GAD reminded me of my own approach to managing anxiety, which for me is tied to my OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder. So I thought I'd share it here briefly. And if you wanna hear more about my experience, check out the episode called How I Manage Anxiety on my other podcast, Founders Journal. We'll link to it in the show notes of this episode. When it comes to my anxiety, I try to remind myself of three powerful assumptions. First, I am biologically wired to be more anxious than the average person. I can't fight it, and there's no real benefit to fighting it. Instead, what I should put my focus on is learning how to harness it. Second, 
Anxiety is both a blessing and a curse. It makes me creative, productive, proactive, and it allows me to draw connections quickly. But it's also that same mind that latches onto sometimes unproductive things, things that create anxiety and make me unhappy. But what I strive to do is accept that the blessings of anxiety come with unintended consequences. And third, managing anxiety is really, really hard. It's a part-time job that takes self-awareness, focus, and a lot of hard work to move the needle and quiet it with those assumptions in mind. There isn't an easy way out of anxiety, but it is something I can achieve with effort. Now, I've also started focusing on my mental health stack, basically all of the daily and non-daily habits that can help me be less anxious. My daily habits are things like eating well, exercising, taking my medication, and getting adequate sleep. The non-daily habits in my mental health stack are things like therapy, mindfulness, meditation, and executive coaching. What my mental health stack does is it helps lower my baseline feeling of anxiety on a day-to-day -day basis. And it also lowers the variability of the anxiety or the peaks and valleys that I experience. And finally, I've learned to accept my anxiety rather than to resist it. I need to trust my process in quieting my anxiety and using my mental health stack. It was really huge for me to learn that anxiety and fulfillment don't have to be mutually exclusive. And I hope that however you choose to manage your anxiety, you're able to come to this realization as well. Imposters is a production of Morning Brew. Imposters is produced by Michaela Heck. Our executive producer is Brian Henry. And our sound engineers are Dan Bauza and Rosemary Minkler. Alan Haberchak is the director of audio at Morning Brew. And Sarah Singer is our VP of multimedia. Our theme song is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Music in this episode is by Rosemary Minkler. 